0: Good evening, greetings again in the name of our Lord and Savior. It was uh, this thinking as Luke, brother Luke, was reading his passage: "Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life." Um, and I was challenged by whether or not I live with that kind of a disposition towards God. Does my heart believe that? Am I absolutely convinced that God is for me? And last night we were talking, talking, speaking, sharing. About uh, marriage and uh, the disposition of our heart towards God, how that is like the most important thing in our lives. It plays into everything else about us. And we want to continue that theme a bit here this evening. I look at the uh, Anabaptist churches and churches that are seeking to be obedient to Christ. Um, and I. I applaud them in their efforts to reach out into the world and to take the gospel to the unsaved. Uh, but at the end of the day, the way our churches are primarily growing, and I believe by the design of God, is through faithful families. And so I just felt a burden on my heart just to continue to speak about some of the things that we were talking about last night and maybe bring it a little bit more into the just the everyday challenges that we face as moms and dads and grandpas and grandmas and just as uh, members of the body of Christ and just being faithful in our calling and finding strength to keep the disposition of our heart focused on Jesus, looking unto Jesus. He is the source of our life. He's the source of our strength. I invite you to turn your Bibles tonight to Zechariah chapter 4. I started out pointing out last night that marriage was instituted before the church. And so you may ask the question, which is more important, marriage or the church? And I just want to make it very clear that my understanding of Scripture is that in the New Covenant, that the church is the place of blessing. Christ is the head of the church, and the only way to experience the blessing of Christ as our shepherd is for us to be under the protection of Christ, which means you're part of the body of Christ. And and I say that with a, a fair amount of conviction, because we live in a time when uh, it's so um, easy for us to diminish the importance and the role of the church and the church, uh, the church structure. And you know, just for example, let me just give an example. Bear with me a bit as I try to get real practical here. In weddings, I have heard families say. What does the church have to do with our wedding? This is not a church event. This is a family event. Have you ever heard anything like that? That is the one way in which um, we diminish God-ordained authority in the church, structure in the church that helps protect us from that just continual drift towards the world. And so... What what you find in Scripture, what I find in Scripture as I read Scripture, is this, that what God writes to the church in the New Covenant applies to the church, and it also applies to the family, okay? And so this is sort of a dual message. I'm going to be primarily speaking concerning family, but everything that is said concerning family also applies to the church family, all right? And so what I want to just point out here is that in this passage, we find what I believe is an incredible uh, strength to the role of the church and the family as they work together. Um, The the church can preach and the school can teach, but it is in the context of the home that the, the practical way of life is worked out. Did you get that? It's important that the church preaches, and it's important that the school teaches. It's very, very important that what is preached in the pulpit and what is taught in the schools is worked out in a very practical way, a practical way of life is worked out in the home. Um, If mom and dad do not have a passion for the Lord Jesus Christ in the home, a thousand sermons will not make right the wrong that is done to the hearts of the children. It's just the way it is. And if mom and dad are not under the church, if they have never submitted their will to the church, uh, I want to tell you, because I can tell you this from personal experience, that there is a spirit, there is a power of darkness over a home where there, where we are following our own will. We've never bowed our will to the will of Christ and to the, and to the authority and the structure of the church. If you want to be your own man, you want to do your own thing, I want to promise you, that there's going to be a spirit in your home that's going to be destructive in the hearts of your children. I lived in a home like that. And I thank God for the change that he brought into that home eventually. Um, although it isn't what we wish it was yet. I grew up in a home where mom and dad never submitted to baptism and never submitted to the authority of the church. Very religious people. And I to tell you, there was a spirit of, of oppressive darkness in our home growing up. And I have family that are out walking in the world today because they were not rescued from that. They chose not to, to follow God out of that. We're in Zechariah chapter 4, and this is a passage that I was reading through my Bible about six months ago, and I just, it like, um, jumped out at me. Did you ever have a Scripture do that to you? You're reading, and you've read it a dozen times before, and all of a sudden it's like, wow, why didn't I see that before? That is the beauty of the living Word of God. Is It's always live, It's always fresh. There's always something new for you. And so what we're going to do is just read down through chapter 4, and there's a picture in here of the New Covenant Church, of which the family is a part. And we want to just sort of like get that picture planted in our mind if we can. And it's a somewhat difficult picture because the angel that brings this picture uh to, to Zechariah, actually, acts, seems like he doesn't quite understand exactly what all is going on in his vision. But I think we can get enough that it can refresh our hearts. And so we're going to start reading in chapter 4. And the angel that talked with me came again, and waked me up as a man that is wakened out of a sleep, and said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick, all of gold, with a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps thereof, and seven pipes of the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereof, and olive and two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl, and the other upon the left side thereof. So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, "'What are these, my lord?' Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, "'Knowest thou not what these be?' And I said, "'No, my lord.' Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not of might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? Thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof, with shouting, say, crying, Grace, grace, unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of of this house. His hands shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro through the whole earth. Then answered I and said unto him, What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof? And I answered again and said unto him, What be these two olive branches which through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out into themselves? And he answered me and said, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then said he, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. And we're going to stop reading there for right now. Do you get a picture of what we're seeing? Do you get a picture of the context? So the context is, if you're familiar with this book, is that Zerubbabel has come with a group of people from Babylon back to rebuild the temple of God and he has at Jerusalem, and he has experienced extreme pressure from the enemies. It's like the obstacles that are in front of him are like what? What did it say here? It's like what? A mountain. He's up against the mountain. And it's like, he is discouraged. He's like, man, I can't do this anymore. I mean, I I ain't got the wisdom for this. I ain't got the strength for this. I don't have people that are rallying around me and helping me do this. He's in 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 a point of despair. And what God does is he gives him a vision through the prophet. He gives him a vision. And he gives him a vision of the new covenant, the new covenant church. And so if we go down through this and just um, look a bit at what, he, what he's portraying here. He's portraying a candlestick. Now, the word for that candlestick is a lampstand. Where else do we have the word lampstand that's used uh, fairly frequently in the Bible? Which book of the Bible talks about a lampstand? Revelations, all right? Yeah. And they use the word candlestick, but it stands for a lampstand. So it's something that holds a lamp. Okay, so you have this lampstand And then you have this bowl on top of it. And so if you would just look at this podium right here and say this is is the lampstand and this is the bowl. That's the picture we've got. And then you have, uh, furthermore, you have pipes coming out of here that are going out to seven lamps. And then you have this olive branch. Actually, is it one branch or two branches? What does it say? It's one on the left side and one on the right side, that are coming in here and dripping olive oil into this bowl. So this bowl is just like being kept filled with olive oil all the time. And that olive oil is running out through conduits, pipes, and feeding the the lamps out here. And this is a picture of the New Covenant Church, and it's a beautiful picture of the New Covenant Church. And you can interpret it many different ways. But I believe the lampstand is the church. When Jesus says, I'm going to remove your candlestick, that is the church. We are the lampstand. We are the ones that's holding the light that he is and reflecting the light that he is. And who are these Who are these olive trees? It says trees here. And actually, if you look at the original, it's more like the olive branches. So you got an olive branch coming around to the the right and you got an olive branch coming out to the left. Who are they? They are, what does it say? They are the anointed ones. Do we got that? And in the New Testament covenant church, who are the anointed ones? Anyone who has received the holy what? The spirit. The gift that God has promised to anybody. Everybody. That dedicates their heart and life to Him. But who was it in, here, in, in, in this context? Who were the anointed ones? There's two men that represent the anointed ones right here it's Zerubbabel, who was the civil leader, and Joshua, who was the priest. And so you have the one who is performing the 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 ecclesiastical responsibilities, the spiritual responsibilities, and you have one who is fulfilling the civil responsibilities. Now in the New Covenant, guess what? We are all, we all have civil responsibilities in caring for our families, in nurturing up our children, in in loving our spouse. We all have that responsibility. And we're all made what? Priests before the Lord, are we not? We're called to spiritual responsibilities as well to care for the spiritual welfare of those that God has placed under our care, the lamps. Are we getting a picture of what they're saying here, of the New Covenant, the beautiful picture of New Covenant Church, and how this functions? So you are, every one of you are the anointed ones. Where, do, where else do we have this, this language being used? Uh, if you go to Revelation 11, I believe it is, you have uh, God saying, that uh, my anointed ones, my, anointed, my two anointed ones, and who is he talking about? He's talking about the two witnesses that are going to come at the end of the time and are going to give testimony to the truth that is in Christ Jesus at the very end of time. They're his anointed ones. They're anointed to that particular ministry. Today, every one of you are an anointed one. And the picture we have here is that there is oil What does oil do? Uh, If you take oil out of your engine, what happens? You start getting friction, right? Yeah, real quick. So oil is the grace of God. It's the love of God. It's the forgiveness of God. It's all the attributes of God that we receive in Christ Jesus. That oil is flowing out of us into this bowl that flows out to those that we're ministering to whether it's our families, whether it's our brothers and sisters in the church, we are responsible to keep their lamps supplied with oil from us. And um, I think it's important for us to just recognize that this is not something that we do. If you look very carefully at verse 6 on the last part, it says this, it's not by might, all right? It's not because you're strong, and it's not by power. It is by the Spirit of the Lord that this is possible. Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit. It's very, very important that we understand that. Because that does something to the disposition of our heart, does it not? Does that bring a sense of rest to you? To know that the new covenant is not fulfilled by our own strength, not by our spiritual strength, excellence, not by being educated and and able to understand and explain these things. You don't have to be intelligent to be a Christian. You don't have to have a high IQ to be a Christian. You just have to have a broken and a contrite heart. The gospel came to the poor. It comes to all who will receive. And he promises that the great mountain that, will, that is before us. And this is what Jesus said. He said, if you have faith in me, whatever mountain is facing you will just be moved away into the sea. It's a different way of saying what it says here. What it says here is the mountain that is standing in front of you will become a plain. And so whatever mountain is in front of you, whatever you're faced with today, whatever looks bigger than you know you have it and resources to fulfill, that is your mountain. And by understanding the power that is in Christ, that is yours for the asking, that mountain can become a plain. It just vanishes away because we're no longer trying to climb that mountain or overcome that mountain or move that mountain in our own strength. Um, how does this all work? So we're the anointed ones, and we are um, your, your home. We can say this, this is, this is the church, and it's, or your, it's your home. It, it's a dual interpretation here and you're supplying the oil to that. So how do you get the oil? It's important to know that. Let's back up into chapter 3, and let's start reading at verse 8. Where is the source of this power and strength? Verse 8, Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at. For behold, I bring forth my servant, What's his name? Everyone together. The Branch. Is that a strange name or what? I didn't hear that very loud. You all say it, I'm going to listen. The branch. Better. Thank you. The Branch. Just I mean if someone says, "Who is Christ?" and you say, "He's the Branch." How would that hit them? But you know this is a concept all through scripture that he is going to sprout up like a branch he's going to become a mighty tree he's going to be uh, he's going to uh, sprout off of the root of Jesse (laughs) it's going to look like things are dead the kingdom of David is does not exist anymore I mean it's over and suddenly out of the ground is going to sprout this branch and and this is used often just let me take you to somewhere that's real close so we don't get lost in going to a lot of different scriptures tonight but if you go to chapter 6 in verse 12 Chapter 6 and verse 12. And speak unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch, thank you, and he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. And that is a very clear prophecy that the new covenant church is going to be built in Christ Jesus. And then let's just read on here. We're back now, and we're back in chapter 3, and we're in verse 9. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua upon one stone shall seven eyes behold. I will engrave the engraving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of the land in one day. Now, that is referring to the fact that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. And the engraving in that, the seven eyes, I think, are simply the seven spirits of God. In other words, the, the truth of, of who Christ is, his living word, and the, the, the rock that is the cornerstone are all one and the same. You cannot separate it. They're all one and the same. And tell me, when was it that in one day the iniquity of the Lamb was purged? In one day. When was that? Anyone know? At the crucifixion. This is prophecy concerning our Lord and Savior. And then we just read the, the verse 10 yet. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall ye call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree. And I just want to point out that Jesus taught this. What we have here is we have this picture that behind this bowl, behind this lampstand, there is this living branch, this source of life, And then you have these vines that are grafted into that source of life that are dripping this oil continually, dripping grace, mercy, love, forgiveness, long-suffering, the fruit of the Spirit, into this bowl. And this bowl is always well-supplied with the fruit of the Spirit, the oil for those who are drawing from it. Jesus said, that except you abide in the vine, you're not going to have any life in you. Except you abide in the vine, except you abide in me, you can't do anything. But if you abide in me, if you draw your strength from me, if you live in my grace, you can do anything. Anything. You got that? What's the difference between not doing anything and doing anything? It's a source of power. It's a source of oil. And Jesus Christ is that source, source of oil. And so I just want to just set before you a few thoughts here uh, this evening, because I believe this applies to um, every church. I believe it applies to every family living in, in a church relationship. Um, we have responsibilities, and sometimes those responsibilities come heavy on us, and sometimes our heart focuses on those responsibilities and on our inability. Do you ever find yourself focusing on your inability instead of God's ability? Have you done that as a church leader? Yeah, it's real easy to do. How about a parent? You focus on your inability instead of God's ability. Mm-hmm. Real easy. I remember feeling so overwhelmed as a parent, like, Oh God, how do I do this? I remember when my our eldest son, Chris, was born, and I was just a young father, twenty-two years old, and I brought my wife and a little boy home from the hospital, and that night I was just in the house there holding him, and I just I went outside. I just got overwhelmed with this amazing reality that God had given to me an eternal spirit to care for. And I went outside and I held that little boy up and I just wept before the Lord and said, God, you're gonna have to help me do this. I don't know how to do this. I don't know why you gave me something so precious. And I wept before the Lord and I asked God to give me the strength that I needed. And I just want to give a testimony that God has and is giving grace for that. And we come to the church and you know we have young people come to the church and sometimes they've they've had difficult uh, experiences in life and we try to help them through them difficult experiences and and they come as babes drinking the milk of the word. and we need to be deeply connected to Christ that the grace of God might flow through our lives to them. Jesus said to Peter, he said, feed my lambs. You take care of my lambs. You make sure that you're so connected to me that you have resources to give to the lambs of the faith. And then we have those who are young in the faith. And then we have those who are growing and mature and they become laborers alongside of us in being discipled and making disciples. And that's sort of the pattern that I see in, in just being a family and raising a family for the Lord. The the joy is when you see your children taking up the faith and defending the faith and living out the faith, you know your work is coming to a completion. And God promises this to you as parents and to you as as those who are laboring in the vineyard of the Lord, whether you're in the ministry or just whoever you are, you're called to labor in the, in, the, in the vineyard of the Lord. He promises this, that if you build on the foundation, if you build on the foundation, you will have the joy of laying the capstones in place. But as you do that, you shout this. What do you shout? Grace, grace, God's grace, by his grace. The spirit that Paul had, I labored more abundantly than they all. But it was by the grace of God that I labored. It wasn't even me. It was God's grace working in me and me responding to God's grace. And that is going to be our testimony at the end of our experience as God's labors in his vineyard. So what is our primary goal? What is our primary calling? I think we go to Ephesians 4. We're not going to take time to do that here for for time tonight. We went to Ephesians 4 and, and verse 13. It is the standard that we're reaching for is maturity, and the standard for that maturity is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And we, our goal is, at the very beginning, when you're holding your little infants in your hands, whether they're newborns in Christ or whether they're your, your children, your ultimate goal is to see them raised up in Jesus Christ to where they give a mature reflection of the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm just going to break things down here in just a, a couple different age groups. I think... Um, I think it's just so important that we realize as parents and as church leaders that we become the face of God. We are the face of God to our young ones, whether they're young in faith or whether they're our children at home. We are the face of God to them. And there's nothing more difficult, I don't think, to overcome as a new believer than if you've been dealt with harshly uh, by someone that God had put in your life to protect you. If you've been dealt with harshly, there's, it's a very difficult thing to overcome that concept that God is a harsh God. It's very difficult. And I think it's one of the things that Jesus is talking about when he says that we need to be very, very careful that we do not offend one of these little ones. That we don't give them a false impression of what our Heavenly Father is like in our interactions with them. And so that's why I keep coming back to this thing that for us to be effective in ministry while it's ministering to the church or ministering to our children, there needs to be this disposition of our heart where we are broken before God. And life is lived in the context that he is our king, he's our Lord, he's in charge of our life. We embrace life by faith. I have a a poem here I'm going to read. Because sometimes we forget, don't we? We become so um, focused on our goals and the things that we want to accomplish in life, and sometimes we forget. And I remember in my own life, early in our marriage, Chris, our oldest, was just a a little fellow. I'm going to say he was three years old. And I came in the house, and my expectations had not been met in something that I wanted to see done. Did someone talk about expectations in this church recently and how they get us in trouble? And so I said something to my wife about, in in a rather gruff way about the fact that this didn't happen yet, and she responded back to me somehow, and then I said something in a little bit sharper voice, and she responded back, and then I raised my voice a little bit, and I was, can I say I was angry? Would you believe it? I could get angry. I think there was anger involved. And I just remember turning and looking like this and there was my son Chris standing there and he had this fearful look on his face and it's just like someone stuck a knife in my heart. God, forgive me. And I went over to my wife and I took her face in my hands and I said, honey, I'm sorry. Can you forgive me? And I kissed her and I said, I don't want to be like this. I'm very, very sorry and i turned around looked at my little boy and he just ran off he was happy but that look on his face i never forgot and that was like i don't know how many years ago chris is 33 now so it's probably 30 years ago and i never forgot that look i seen on his face in that moment i don't want to be like this i want to be a changed man i gonna be a man of grace for my children and i made a commitment there and i'm not going to tell you that i never failed after that because i did but I kept calling my heart back to that. I kept calling my heart back to that. If my disposition is right before God and things go wrong in my life or in my family, in my schedule, it doesn't change my commitment to be Christ-like. I can never back, I can never, never, excuse myself from my commitment to follow Jesus in every circumstance. And I just want to say this. I'm going to share a poem with you, and I'm going to tell you this. I say this, that in training children... They learn more and they develop deeper convictions about the things that you apologize for than the things you try to teach them. Do you understand what I'm saying? When you actually are so convicted about following Jesus and what it means to follow Jesus that you come back and you apologize and ask forgiveness when you fail, that leaves an indelible mark on their heart that this is very, very important. Our character matters. Our responses do matter. This writing was written by a mother. She was reflecting at the end of her day on her obedience to God and whether or not she had followed the spirit that day. And here's what she writes. I ran into a stranger as he passed by. Oh, excuse me, please, was my reply. He said, oh, please excuse me, too. I wasn't watching for you. We were very polite, the stranger and I. We went on our way. We said goodbye. But at home, a different story is told, how we treat our loved ones, young and old. Later that day, cooking the evening meal, my st- son stood beside me, very still. When I turned, I nearly knocked him down. Move out of the way, I said with a frown. He walked away, his little heart broken. I didn't realize how harshly I'd spoken. While I lay awake in bed, God's still small voice came to me and said, while dealing with a stranger, common courtesy you use, but the family you love, you seem to abuse. Go and look on the kitchen floor. You'll find some flowers there by the door. Those are the flowers he brought to you. He picked them himself, pink, yellow, and blue. He stood very quietly, not to spoil the surprise. You never saw the tears that filled his little eyes. By this time I felt very small, and now my tears began to fall. I quietly went and knelt by his bed. "'Wake up, little one, wake up,' I said. "'Are these the flowers you picked for me?' He smiled. I found them out by the tree. I picked them because they're pretty like you. I knew you would like them, especially the blue. I said, "'Son, I'm very sorry for the way I acted today. I shouldn't have yelled at you that way. He said, oh, mom, it's okay. I love you anyway. I said, son, I love you too. And I do like the flowers, especially the blue. And so the thought I want to leave with you is that our words are important. Teaching is important. But I think that our example, at the end of the day, is what really impacts our children. And whether or not we really have a passion to walk with Jesus and to actually exhibit the very likeness, the divine nature of God himself in our lives or not, if that is your passion, the Spirit of God will guide you through these things, and he'll bring your heart back to reflect on the day and to make right those things that we do wrong. We all have this um, measure of dysfunction in our lives. It's just a given, and you're not going to outgrow that. Um, in a lifetime. Hopefully you're always changing into the likeness of Jesus. But there will always be because we are who we are, we are but dust, there will always be this measure of dysfunction in our lives and we can't focus on that. But we do have to be faithful and we do have to be sensitive to the Spirit's leading in our lives. So I just want to break this down a little bit. I tell my children, I've tried to tell my children, I've tried to follow this a bit, and that is that ages zero to two, I think is a time for building emotional bonding with our children. And, you know, this has really changed. When I was a boy, I didn't see fathers holding their children close and putting their arms around their children. Just, I didn't see that. It was just like it wasn't uh, uh, acceptable in the culture for fathers and mothers to just love on their children, if you will, Uh, to hold them close, to cuddle them. You didn't see that, but that has changed, hasn't it? At least in in my circles, that has changed. And I'm very, very grateful for that. Children are loved. I don't remember being pulled into my father's lap or my grandfather's lap and, and having stories read to me. That didn't happen in my experience. Maybe it did in yours, and praise the Lord if it did. But I think that in the early years, there's a need to build a very real emotional bond with your children, to uh, speak lovingly to them, um, to encourage them, to to coddle them, to, when they are having a difficult time, I remember particularly one of our children that was very strong-willed as a very young child, and when he would throw a temper tantrum, I would sit in the rocking chair, and I would hold him, I would restrain him, and I would quote scriptures, and I would sing to him until he came to a brokenness in his will. And I think that is... um, what we're doing in an early part of a child's life is we're trying to train the temperament, the, the disposition of their heart. We're trying to bring them to an a understanding that when they surrender their will, uh, life is good. When they surrender the will, there's a pleasantness about life. And one of the things that's very important to understand, I believe, is that you basically have from ages one to two to do that, zero to, zero to two to do that. Uh, After two, maybe up to three years old, but after three years old, it becomes more and more difficult. And and I tell you, I have watched this now for a lot longer than what I was able to when I was 30 years old. Does that make sense? I've seen this happen. I've worked with people. And as a church uh, servant, I've seen people that had a very difficult time surrendering, submitting themselves to the church, blending their lives they didn't have a conviction to blend their lives with the brotherhood. And I remember one case particular. I went back and I talked to somebody, and they said, well, here's the deal. That individual was never taught to sit in the high chair. When they went out of the high chair, they got out of the high chair. They were never taught to sit there. Their will was never dealt with in those early years. And so that is the primary goal in the early years of our child training, is that we're trying to bring that training into their heart, that disposition, into the training into their heart where there's a brokenness, there's a yieldedness, a willingness to yield to the authority that God has ordained over their lives. Some parents um, have various ways of doing that. I know a set of parents that did a very effective job, and they would take a blanket, and they would put it on the floor, and they would put the child there at a young age and make that child stay on that blanket. They would just by voice command, no, no, you stay there. And then once they had that down, they would put a toy there, but insist that the child could not have the toy. They'd do it for a period of time, and they said it worked very well. But there's a beautiful thing about children that respond to their parents, and this is our goal, and it takes time and lots of energy. But to have children that respond to the parents, they obey mom. They obey Dad when they give them a, a command. They do it, and they do it. It's not just obedience that we're trying to train for; it's joyful obedience. And I think that primarily is our goal. Uh, as we once we've trained their will, then we train them for obedience, uh, and that basically has to happen up until the before the age of twelve, as I as I would see it. I remember I went to talk to a businessman one time, and uh, it was over in Maryland. And I got there, and he had this beautiful German Shepherd dog. And so as I walked up, he said something to the dog, and the dog sat down on the macadam. And we stood there, and we talked for 10 minutes. And that dog sat there the whole time. I said, that's amazing. I said, is that dog trained? He said, oh, yeah. He said, I sent him to obedience school. And I said, really? Yeah. He goes, pow. And the dog just like he was shot with a 357 just flat out sprawled out on the on the macadam. And we were there talking a little bit longer. And the dog picks his head up and looks at us. He says, you're dead. And his head just drops right back down to the macadam. And it's like, that is beautiful. something beautiful. And he said this. He said, watch this. He says, Coke. And that dog went to the house. They had a lever latch. He took his paw. He opened the door and went in. Went to the refrigerator, opened the refrigerator, and got a Coke out. And brought it out, shutting the doors behind him. And when he got the Coke to him, it was not, it didn't fizz. He said, "I could ask for do what I got to do." It's beautiful. You, know, you take an animal like that and you teach them obedience, and it's a beautiful thing. And then you watch how in our world today, children will tear up a grocery store, and parents have no control over them whatsoever. And I'm telling you there's a spirit of darkness in our world today when it comes to children, and it's no wonder. I think it's of the devil. Uh, jo- parents think children are a t- tremendous burden. And our children in our churches should never, ever feel like they're a burden to us. They are not. They're an incredible blessing of God. And we need to make sure that our children always get that message that you're a gift from God to us, to mom and dad. We, we love and delight in the fact that God has given you to us. And we want to make sure that we're communicating that message very clearly to our children. I think ages 2 to 11, the, the goal is for character development. Joyful obedience. Um, <clears throat> here's the thing that I say often is that if you make character development a goal for yourself and for your children, you have God behind you 100%. You can make a lot of goals in life, and you're not always sure whether this is God's will or not, but if you have character development for a goal, is that the will of God? You know 100% that you have God fully behind your desire to develop cal- character in your own life, in the lives of your children. It's just absolutely um, his will that that happens. And I think at this point it's important for us to develop this concept that obedience is more important than understanding. And here's why I'm saying this. We have bought into the world's psychology, um, I was visiting at a church not so many months ago and I was talking to a man who was somewhat younger than me and had a number of children there and his seven-year-old son comes up to him while we're trying to talk and grabs his arm and just starts pulling on his arm pulling on his arm and we we couldn't have this conversation because his son was pulling him off balance all the time and he's trying to dialogue with his son son I'm trying to talk with this brother can you stop pulling on my arm Son, what are you trying to communicate to me by pulling on my arm? Son, is, it, what is what is it that you really want from me? I wish you would stop pulling on my arm. And so I was like trying to get some words in. He was trying to get some words into me, but most of the words are being spoken to his son. But we, we've gotten into the situation where a lot of fathers have bought into, mothers have bought into this concept that we communicate with our children and we talk them through, help them to reason through things. When they're, Between the ages of of 3 and 12, that's not a time for them to reason through things. Their brains have not developed to the point where they can reason through things. God never intended for them to be able to reason through things. This is the stage where primarily, as parents, our responsibility is to help them to understand that obedience comes before understanding. Okay? That's why you all have church standards, right? It's for the young in the faith. I mean, you all don't need them but for the young in the faith. They need some guidelines. Right? You don't need them. You're living above that. You're, you're walking in the Spirit. But for those who are young, they need, and they don't have to understand everything. You know, it's, at this point, you say to your child, go do that, and they say, why? Well, I'm your father. I'm your authority. What else do you need to know? Nothing. Go do it. And they need to learn that. I remember a young lady came to me, she said, I never understood the head covering, but I decided just to be obedient because I had a conviction to be obedient to God. And she said, once I was obedient, I started to understand. Surprise. No, that's the way God works. You don't have to understand before you obey. You have to obey if you want God's blessing. And then he will open up your understanding. And this is a period of time where we're teaching our young people that you learn to obey. And then there will be an understanding that will follow. And it's okay to say, at this point of the game, it's okay to say, because I said so. I'm your God-ordained authority, and I care about your well-being. We move on to our children. When they get to the ages of 12 to adult, I think we, at that point, are primarily teaching them to... um, We're training them for service. What does that service look like? Well, it might be going to the mission field. It might be milking cows. It might be being a carpenter. Everything you do is a service for the Lord. And we're training them to serve. We're training them to see needs and to meet needs. Things are changing in their life right now. You know, there, there's, it's not just you. Primarily up until this point, it's the home that's been influencing them. But now they're going to start having influences from outside the home. We see this in the life of Jesus, where he went to the temple, and guess what? He got all caught up in his father, heavenly father's business, right? He started having influences outside of just mom and dad in their little home in Nazareth. And that's the way it is with our children, and we want that. They need that. They're starting to grow, starting to expand their horizons and and the influences into their lives, and so this time at this point, it's very important that we help them understand that we're developing a spirit of service in their hearts. And I think um, it's important that we help them understand that there are those that are called by the church to go to the mission fields. Most of us are called to serve Jesus by milking our cows and by pounding nails. By mowing lawns, by doing whatever it is that God called you to do. That's where most of us are at. There are some that are sent to the mission field. Um, and I think it's important for them to understand that at a fairly early age, that worship and work are one and the same. Being faithful in our responsibilities is an act of worship to God. I think this is also time of hearing their questions. Now they're 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 ability to reason through things and our ability to understand scripture is growing and it's developing. We want to capitalize on that and we want to uh, ask questions to them. How are you doing? What's happening in your life? We want to help them not only be a part of the family worship, but we want them to develop the ability to study God's word on their own and to seek God on their own. This is that time period where we're nurturing that in their lives. It is so important that we have consistent family worship, and it's so important that in that family worship time that we are engaged in memorizing Scripture with our children. I worked for a large construction company for most of my years when I was raising children, and it was difficult for me because I often left the the house by 6 o'clock in the morning and didn't get back till 5 or 6 in the evening. And So I would get my children up 5 o'clock in the morning so we had time together to study God's Word. And it was a stretch at times. But I look back on that, and I thank God for those moments, that sacrifice. And there was a time in my life where I started feeling bad for my children, getting them up so early. And I slacked off on it. And our daughter, Teresa, came to me with tears in her eyes, and she said, Dad, Dad, I really miss not getting together in the mornings and studying God's Word together. And I wept. I, I repented, and we immediately started having our early morning worship experience again. I just want to say one of the things that's been a tremendous blessing to me in the last couple days is just being at Brother Evan's Sister Judith's place and experiencing their family worship time. I didn't do near as good as what they do. And if you're struggling here, because this can be a real struggling point of struggle in young families. If you're struggling, what I would do is I would fix breakfast sometime and I would call Brother Evan and say, look, we're bringing breakfast over to your house. We want to see how you do family worship. Because i was blessed, I'm serious, I was really, really blessed at the uh, energy that their is putting into memorizing Scripture. There will be eternal rewards for that. And we need to help each other these things. If we're struggling with it, don't be ashamed. We're here to help each other. Church is a safe place. There's lots of oil in the body of Christ, okay? And you can admit that you're, you're struggling and nobody's going to look down on you. I think that this is a time to help our children develop A a, a heart to test the spirits to understand the motives of their own heart and to hear carefully the things that are coming into them because there's a lot of books out there and we talked about the influences that are going to be coming into your home coming into their lives not always you're not always going to be aware of it and so you have to be able to you have to help them to be able to test the motives of their own heart and to test everything scripture tells us to test everything test it by the word of God this is the standard, and we, 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 ha- we hold up that as, as very valuable to our children. It is the standard. Uh, it's not a time to be out to lunch whatsoever. I know fathers who simply are out to lunch. You know what I mean by being out to lunch? You're not aware of what's happening in your children's lives? You need to be aware of what's happening in your children's lives. You need to be able to read their countenance. You know, recently we looked at our youngest daughter, who's 19, and Sharon and I said, you know, something's bothering her. Something's bothering her. When you talk to her, see what's bothering her. Well, when your closest friend gets a letter from a guy who wants your friendship, it's not too serious of a thing, but you need to know. And so she was just working through the fact that her friend, her closest friend at church, is going to start dating this young man, courting this young man, and it's going to change their relationship. Her time with Ellie is going to be. Sliced and diced is gonna be a fraction of what it was. And it was troubling her. Now that's nothing serious, but I'm saying you need you can pick those little things up in your children's countenance if you know your children. And you want to do that. You want to be there and you want to be able to read their countenance. Well, brothers and sisters, I want to do better tonight at closing this service than what I did last night. I want to encourage you, I want to encourage you to um, be loyal to your church. I think Gary Miller talks about the RV mentality that has come in among our circles where we'll take our family on a vacation. There's nothing wrong with that. Then we use the Lord's Day to come back to our communities. And I want to tell you something. It is the little things like that that define in the hearts of your children. It very clearly illustrates where your passion is at. And if your highest priority is, is... Jesus Christ and his body. Um, You think about those things. I I remember a family where the boys just turned out to be incredible men of God with a passion for Christ. And someone walked up to them and said, uh, these three boys were standing together talking, and someone walked up to them and said, what was it in your dad's life that gave you three young men such a passion for the Lord? And they looked at each other and smiled. One of them said, we think that It was the fact that he would never stay home from Wednesday night prayer meeting to Bell Hay when it was going to rain. He was absolutely committed to being with God's people. That's where his heart was. And we live in challenging times, don't we? Not always sure how to respond to them. I don't know how to respond to them. But we live in a time when our passion for the body of Christ, what does the scripture say? In the last days... The love is going to what? Is it going to grow cold? Our passion for things eternal is going to grow cold. And we must be on our guard. Um, We have to, we don't know how to process everything that's going on in our world right now. And I can't even tell you what the right response is. But the one thing we can do is make a covenant that we're going to love the things that God loves. And I'm going to tell you something, the body of Christ is the apple of his eye. And our children need to know that. So, as parents, we want to train our children to develop character in their mind, to have a mind that memorizes Scripture, that loves the law of God. We want to uh, train them, their will, to be surrendered to the law of God, to the will of God. It's not their will, it's God's will that matters. Uh, We want to teach our um, children to be emotionally mature, I work with people that are older than me and they never learn to be emotionally mature. You know what it means to be emotionally mature? You think about uh, Felix Mons being taken down to Lamont River and his hands were tied, stripped down over his knees, and a wooden stick put between. He was taken out in a boat and he said, If you don't Deny Christ, we're going to drown you. And he, with great calmness of spirit, said, I will not deny my Lord. Great calmness of spirit. He had emotional control. Uh, what, what does it take to trip you up emotionally, to get you to where you lose focus of Jesus? And we're we, we, uh, trying to train our children that when things go wrong, your schedule falls apart, whatever it is that happens. You bring your emotions under the control of the Holy Spirit. And it's a challenge. I was praying, actually. I was praying for our youngest daughter uh, because I just felt like it was. I needed to speak into her life in this whole thing. And uh, here, back a number of months ago, actually it was this past summer, our daughter, Andrew, uh, daughter Teresa, brought us a load of mulch up to our place, and we were mulching up our flower beds. And it was in the evening, a beautiful evening. Uh, we were out there just having a lot of fun doing this together as a family. And then we had some left over. So we backed over to the other side of the property and we were shoveling this mulch off. And my daughter, Andrea, was up on the back of the truck and we were shoveling the mulch off. And at one point I looked over and I seen her cell phone laying on top of the hood or the, the, the cab of the truck. I was like, that's not very smart. I learned from experience. Hope she don't forget that. Well, we kept shoveling. We got shovel, the mulch all shoveled off. We tarped it up, went in the house, Got the ice cream out. Just sitting around, just enjoying being together as a family. And uh, after a while, Teresa says, well, I think I need to go home. She leaves. We're still sitting there talking. I think it was probably five minutes, ten minutes went by. And all of a sudden, Andrea thought about her cell phone. Now, why was the cell phone so important to her? She was, at that point, developing a business of cleaning... uh, Airbnb homes. And so she had to schedule And there was an app that her, uh, the lady that managed this business kept updated all the time. And she had to watch that carefully because when someone left at 11 o'clock, she had to be there at 11.15 to start cleaning so the next group would come in at 3 o'clock. I and mean, it was like a very intense job that she had. She had to watch her phone very, very carefully. It's very important to her. And it hit her that she had left her phone on top of the truck, and she bailed out of her chair and ran for the door with such passion that she could not even get a grip on the doorknob to get it open. She said, my phone, my phone, my phone. And mom says, what's wrong? She said, I left it on top of Teresa's truck. I got to get it. And she tears out the door. Well, Teresa's nowhere in sight. And she comes tearing back in. Mom says, we'll call Teresa. And t- Andrea is just practically in tears. That's Andrea. Stop get a hold of yourself. It's just a phone. Just stop. And, and think about this, what is done is done. Now we got to understand is that we live on a hill and our driveway is about that steep. And there is no I said you got to understand this Andrea, there is no way in the world that that truck went down that pickup, that pickup truck went down that hill and that phone stayed on the truck. There's no way. Absolutely no way. I so said get a hold of yourself. There may come a time when you're going to be called in front of a court to give testimony of your faith. And Jesus says that you need to be able to bring your emotions into perfect rest and trust my spirit in that moment to give you the words to speak. And I just watched my daughter, and there was this calmness that just started to come over her expression. That's what we're looking for. And when I seen that, I said, Andrea... Would you like your phone? And she looked at me, and her face went gray, and then it went green, then it went red. And when she finally realized that she had her phone in her hand, she said, Dad, I have never, ever in my life been so angry at you and loved you so much all at the same time. But what is our goal? We can't do those. Kind. We can't make that kind of thing happen. But we can pray for God, that God will give us the ability to walk in the Spirit. And he'll give us opportunities to draw our children into maturity and help them to grow up and to draw their spirit, their emotions, their mind, their will, and emotions into submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's we'll stand together for prayer. Heavenly Father, And we come to you, and we come to you in the name of Jesus, the branch, the source of life, the source of grace. I believe, Father, that there are those here tonight who uh, long in their hearts to be grafted more securely into that branch that you are. And I just pray, Father, if there's anyone here tonight that wants to make a new commitment, a fresh commitment, to walk in that grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, to trust you more fully for the wisdom that we need, to raise our sons and our daughters, to mentor and discipline, to disciple the hearts of young believers into uh, strong disciples of yours that can uh, disciple others. I just pray, Father, that you would help us tonight to renew that commitment to be men and women who are strong in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who bring our own spirits into complete submission to your Lordship, to your spirit's leading. Uh, Forgive us, Father. Forgive us where we have been a wrong representation of the face of our Father, Heal our sons and our daughters from the times when they have seen frustration, when they've seen anger in our lives. Heal their hearts from the times, for the times when we have made them feel like a burden to us instead of the extreme eternal blessing that they are. Help us to embrace the struggle of life with joy and to believe that in Jesus Christ and through our faith in him, that the mountains before us that appear as mountains can be removed and become a plain and that we can smooth the path for our children to follow behind us. We love you. Thank you for Jesus, the branch, and the grace that flows to us from him. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.